You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. And so, yeah, what's going on this week? Go ahead, Chris. That was a quiet response. No, I don't usually hear well, silence from the two of you. Kind of, it's unusual because I think that there's a, uh, I, I gave the analogy the other day of, you know, because there's there's different phases of markets, right? There's, you know, when you, like like I say, there's different things happening. There's, you know, sometimes there's confusion, then it goes to concern, then it goes to fear, and then it literally goes to paralysis, right? With different marketplaces. And right now, I, I, I think we've entered into a confusion part of it. And, and part of it is, um, as we, um, I give the analogy of imagine that you're going across, you know, North Dakota, Montana, whatever, you know, Nebraska, it's a straight, you know, freeway and, and the speed limit's 80 miles an hour. And, and then you hit the Minnesota border and it drops you down to 65. And so you're used to driving 80 and then you slow down to 65 and it feels like you're crawling. Like I could run this fast. Why are we going so slow? And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit of happening in the marketplace um, at least this week, you know, seasonally or whatever, where we're shifting from the six, seven, eight percent appreciation, you know, multiple offers, 10 offers at one time to a normal market, which is, um, you know, that three percent, maybe four percent appreciation a year. But it feels like the, the market's deflating when it's really just kind of adjusting back to a normal pace, because I think the excitement of the low, low, low interest rates are that that fireworks show is over. And then now you're literally going back to people are buying because they need to or want to. Um, what are your thoughts, Chris? Well, do you think, I mean, because uh, this last week was a little slower. That is true. Um, still houses are selling, but yeah, like you said, probably not as many offers on each one, but um, I think that weather has to have something to do with it as well, you know, because it is, it's, it's one of those things that it's just like, Hey, it's great weather. Let's just chill out and let's enjoy it here and it's probably the last little weather we're going to get and then uh we'll start getting colder again and i think it's gonna i don't i don't think it's gone i'll tell you that have you guys noticed there are fewer homes hitting the market this week as well or the last couple weeks there have been fewer homes coming on the market what do you what do you think staff guy well you know in my little micro world yes that's true i'm I'm seeing less property still hitting the market but um you know i'm seeing a huge shift and, and thank God that, you know, more than 40% of my team is in new construction because they're shifting into new construction. And we're starting to see like this fall is by far the busiest fall parade of homes that our crew has ever seen in, in at least the last decade, if not more. And um, where we saw good buyers coming in with good deposits, you know, uh, good contingency statuses, building nice houses, and, and, and very much so taking advantage of the lower payments. Um you know, even though lumber jumped up and prices jumped up a little bit here, you know, a couple a uh, couple months back, but um, it just it doesn't seem to affect it because the payment's still very very affordable. But it still holds true. You know, when you when you do this stuff, if you, if you, a lot of people think, and I know our topic is is going on this today, but a lot of people think you can just put it on the market, you're going to get multiple offers, and it's just not the way it is. It's about what you do to it to get ready and and how you're pricing that home. Uh, to be able to to do that, to maximize the most you can get. And maximizing it doesn't always mean listed at the highest. 
So that's a really good point because today we're talking about um, how the market is a seller's market right now and what that means and how you can price your home for uh, maximizing its value in a seller's market. And some people might not know that are listening what it means or why we're in a seller's market. Would you guys care to expand on that? Because interest rates are super low and the inventory is low. You add those two together and then uh, obviously there's more buyers or, I mean, pr proportionately more buyers than there is uh, sellers in a typical market. Right. So there's less houses to go after. Yeah, it's kind of economics 101. Mm -hmm. Supply and demand. I think that there, there's also, what'd you say? Supply and demand. Same thing you said. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, we're, we're just really on it today, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like I've been enlightened with all this sun in my eyes. Yeah. The light is changing as the morning progresses. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Yeah. So what, what's different about this season's seller's market compared to past seller's markets, or is there no difference? I don't know. Oh, my gosh, Andrew. I bring props just so everybody can appreciate our hardworking environment. Oh, my gosh. So cute. Look at little cat. So fluffy. He stands on my desk, and he, like, licks the keyboard, so every other word's misspelled. <laughs> Or is that just your excuse? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he helps me protect the market, um, depending on what he steps on, on my desk. No, the, what happens is, you know, right now, this time of year though, too, with the supply and demand game going on, I think that's why you're seeing builders, um, with, with inventory that is per square foot higher priced, um, but yet amenity rich, uh, you know, energy efficient, you know, uh, fantastic, you know, all those benefits that you get, you know, you get the a house that you're not going to have to repair for many, many years. They're selling because of that. Um, and I think people also, it's kind of a bucket list item for a lot of people where they, they just say, you know what, Hey, I'm going to build one more house, or I want to build that retirement house or that move up house and let's do it right. And I'm seeing, you know, a lot of people attempting to, to do that in today's market. Cause there's a lot of things that align that make it a good time to do that. I I mean, I think when you ask about if the market is going, is it different than any of the other ones? And I mean, it just, it can't help me. I mean, it, inventory hasn't been like this. The interest rates haven't been like this. And we're right in the middle of an election. And I think you add all those three things up. Um, it just is, it, it makes for a, a, an interesting thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be curious the, this next week if it pops back, because I really think the weather had a lot to do with it last week. It, it just... You always you always see that. I mean, in the spring, there's always slowdowns when you get that first great week, you know, and then in late fall, you get a great week. And then it's just everyone, you know, just let's, let's just enjoy this for a minute. Then we'll get back on it next week. So do we always talk about the real estate market week by week? I feel like this year it's been very much week by week. Is it always that way or is that an anomaly this year? I don't think anything's ever been nothing's really been normal in in my mind since you know 2000 well even before that because it was crazy leading up to that so gosh maybe 2002 um oh, you know, wow. you i mean we used to be able to uh we'll show our age now or how long we've been in the business but we used to be able to say hey go into their house right now in september and 
say, you know what, your house is, we'll list it. We'll list your house uh, next next spring at 239.9. And in this market, it's like, I don't even price them. I give them a range and then I price them the day of or the day before we go on the market. That's when I do my market analysis because it changes that much. And you got to be, and, and it's real well, time. But you you do that, Chris, because you're you're an agent that actually believes in positioning, right? So you you don't just jump into the marketplace to blend in. You need to jump into the marketplace so that you stick out. What is your you know? Is it your quality that exceeds the others? Is it your price that's going to be more attractive? Is it the you just updated everything and you you have to pick um, positioning is I think critical because when you jump into the marketplace and you say, hey, everybody else is listed at six hundred thousand, let's list at six hundred thousand. You become a commodity. You, you, you do sometimes want to list at, you know, 590 and let people fight over you. Like right now, that strategy, what happens is, in my opinion, like what Chris is kind of saying is that, you know, when you have a whole marketplace and there's, let's say there's 10 houses for sale in that price range, which there's probably not, but let's say there is. And what happens is when you list and you become just another property, you, you, people will decide, do I want to buy this one or this one? So you have, com, you know, competing properties versus when you become the best you know, the nicest looking house at the best price, then everybody focuses on you. And then you become the, the one that everybody wants. Now you have consumers competing against consumers to actually get your deal. And then that brings you better offers. And so if you're a little, you know, like I tell all my sellers, if you have a little trust and faith, um, you know, just go with the flow right now in today's market, being below value um, creates multiple offers, creates great, not just multiple, but great offers because multiple doesn't mean good guys. I've seen houses list and get multiple offers that are all under asking price. And because you overpriced your house and you got lucky. Um, but when you create, you do your research, you know, you line them all up and you say, okay, here's how we compete. And you go and you kick butt and take names with your marketing. Um, you, you'll win. Andrew wants to know if your new selling strategy is um, that all the buyers get a, get a puppy. Yes. <laughs> If that helps people want to buy houses with me, then yes. I'll do it. I will do anything for a sale. Anything. <laughs> so how long does a seller's market typically last? I have, I, 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 it lasts as long as a bunch of sellers don't go on the market at the same time. Right. The buyers yep. get lesser and, uh, interest rates st start going up and consumer confidence goes down. Then it, so, then it, so this could last a while. Oh yeah. I mean, well, you know what it is. It's, it it's has been the, lasted a while. I always say it's the old farts that don't want to sell their houses. They're, you know, the, uh, and I, I say that respectfully. You're the old farts. So um, politically correct. No, but you know what it is. It's my, you, know, you, <laughs> you just sold your house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. I just sold two of them. I know you just sold two houses <laughs> of your own. Um, yeah. No, so what it comes down to is you get a lot of people that aren't going to sell because they don't have a place to go that feels comfortable. So, you know, they they don't want to. They run to Brainerd and they say, you know what, let's buy our dream cabin. And they start at eight hundred thousand and go to a multi million dollars. And they say, okay, well that's not realistic. So let's go buy a one level slab on grade fourteen hundred square foot house. And they go out and realize they're almost four hundred thousand. And then they don't want that because even if they pay cash, which some people don't want to do because they need that money for retirement, um, they have a big association fee. So then what ends up happening is you get analysis paralysis where they're like, 
I don't see anything exciting to go towards. So let's just sit tight. And I think you're seeing a lot of people. I mean, God, I can't tell you how many people I know that are, you know, their kids have, you know, gone off to college and they're still sitting in that 5,000 square, 4,000, 3,000 square foot house and they're not selling. And, and that's part of the clog in the system is that we anticipated that group dumping their houses and going into this, you know, executive um, kind of like retirement stuff. And it just never happened. That, that whole generation of baby boomers, um, a lot of them have held back on selling because, like I said, the, they sell their house for $450 and they go buy one for $395 and there's, the economics aren't there. They have twice the house right now for, for the same price. So um, I think that's part of it too. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? I, yeah, and I think a lot of people are with the old, you know what, if I sell this, what am I going to get? There's nothing out there. But the, the reality is there's a lot of stuff out there and there's some really good opportunities out there as well that because uh, in this market, people are looking at anything that's on the market for three weeks or more, there's something wrong with it. And then they just discount it and then it just sits. And then they either have to start reducing their price and or or they just wait it out. And the thing is, is when you start going um, and, and it goes into a month, 30 days or 60 days, you can start getting some real good values on some of those houses because maybe they've already purchased a new house um, subject to them getting the heck out of that one or not subject to it, but they don't want to be stuck with a couple houses. So there's still opportunities out there. I mean, it might take a little work and it's something you got to envision and be able to look past, um, which a lot of people aren't able to do. And that's why there's the HGTVs and the Pinterest and the house.coms because, you know, those are things that if people can see that and they, they see it done, they'll pay for it. And a lot of people just don't have the money. They have the money to put down on, on the loan and, and pay that payment you know, hey, it's 10000 more. It's only going to cost me 30 bucks a month more in which to do it. I'll do that rather than, hey, I don't have to pay 5000 but I can't see past, you know, the, the white appliances and the um, wallpaper. So as an agent, you guys know that a seller's market doesn't mean you can just ask whatever price you want for your house. So how do you start counseling your clients on maximizing the value of their house Seller's market or no? I have a quick comment on that. I, I, I always say there's 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 um, examples all over the place of failures, and they're called expireds or they're called cancelleds, right? And so you look at where did they list, how did they market the property, what kind of photos did they use, what did they showcase, and why did they fail, right? And and that'll give you a big learning curve of in your marketplace, immediate marketplace, and I'm talking about quarter mile of where you list. I'm talking about plus or minus 20% on square footage. Um, you know, I mean, I want, or even the na- same neighborhood. Sometimes a sad reality is if you live in the Pulte neighborhood called, you know, the Brookstone neighborhood, well, guess what? You're going to have to stay within that Brookstone neighborhood regardless if you want to or not. And so you sometimes are limited when you get into neighborhoods where they have the same floor plan built 30 times. Um, you know, you do limit that return, but there's examples all over the place of what you can anticipate so you don't fail. So do your homework, I guess. Well, that kind of, um, before we dive into my question, Greg asked a question about uh, that kind of ties into that. If you have a, mar- a property that's been on the market for 12 months, should you find another agent? I mean, it, it to me, that depends. Um, Cause a lot of, um, 
I, th I think that starts from the beginning. If you didn't do what was right at the beginning and, and help your seller out and give them the right advice, well, you should get the right agent, you know, 11 months before that. But um, if it's there, there's typically a plan. I mean, there should be a plan in place. Um, and like myself, we don't list, I don't have like a formula that I go in and say, okay, this is how we do it. And, and, it, and it applies to every house that's 100, 200, 517 million dollars. And this is the way we do it because it, that's not how it works. It's you have to you have to adjust each, each it's doing each price point is doing. But sometimes the realtors miss the point. Sometimes um, they don't um, portray it the right way, you know. And sometimes you get a you know. I always like I like I don't mind being the second guy in, you know, because they've kind of got their their reality check at the beginning, and then more than likely something was missed. But you can't go and and say, oh, that realtor was just dumb and, and did it wrong. That's not it. It's just maybe looking at it from a different angle in a different way in which to be able to portray it uh, to the public. Well, well, you know, and then there's there's the other side of the story that we've all, you know, we, we know is there where they had seven offers on the house. They just rejected all of them, yeah. you know, or they, they you know, would not um, allow certain marketing or they wouldn't allow open houses or, you know, there, there's so many parts to that that, when you fail as an agent, let's say, and let, let's say for whatever reason that that's considered a failure, um, I look back and I say, okay, what happened? How many showings did you get? Usually showings are very indicative of you having the house price correctly and a good marketing plan. So if you're not getting showings, you need to really analyze the, the marketing that's going out the door because that generates the demand, number one. Number two, then you look at is, is are, are we priced correctly? Are we getting people in? And then looking at that feedback because man, that feedback, if you don't listen to it, you're crazy because those people represent what they call the market. So when they say, I'm going on the market, well, you're going on top of those people and they're the ones that are going to buy your house. So if you don't listen to them, um, you're going to miss it, you know? And that's sometimes what you do is, uh, you know, even though if that agent wasn't the problem and it wasn't their fault, but sometimes from a, a marketing perspective, from the second agent in, you have to kind of almost allude to it that that's what the problem was so you can get it sold because if it wasn't that other agent's fault then it's the house's fault and if it's the house's fault it's not going to sell and so you almost you have to go in and you can't just hey let's just borrow the same pictures that that other person took no you have to take it from different angles you know different rooms um you got to you know maybe the outside photo it's got to completely change or you've got to you've got to do something to make it um like, geez, you know, uh, I don't, if you guys have seen on the MLS and stuff, you go into listings and you see every other room's a different color and it's purple and it's pink and it's gray and it's yellow and it's orange and it's all over the place. And you see that and it just gets, oh my gosh. You, you, and you know what buyers do, they just skip by it, you know? But if, and then it looks small too, because each space is its own space. So then there's just too many spaces. When you start getting, you know, like you paint them, you have, you have them paint some of it and make it, and it feels much bigger and it feels more open and you flip some furniture around and stuff like that. You have to do that because um, if nothing changes, nothing's going to change. And the other thing I wanted to say is that uh, the price typically finds itself. When you price it right and you're in a market, it'll find itself. So um, I think I remember one that Andy did and he had, I don't know, 20 some offers or something like that. And I think intentionally, he, you went about 20 grand under what you thought it should have been, but 
it was the psyche was that, hey, we're going to be able to get all this excitement and then we're going to get 30 more than we ever would have before. And that's what happens. And so, but that's thinking. Then there's sometimes there's other houses that if you price them too low, then people say, well, you know what? It might really only be worth that. And so it's, there's, it's a total, it's a, you have to each house. That's why I always say each house is different. It's not, it's not the same game plan for everyone. Well, you know, Chris, I'll ask you this because this is something that I, I've sat back and and I've told people and they always look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, let's say that you do try the strategy of underpricing the house a little bit and you go for a couple of days and it doesn't work. There's no rule that I'm aware of. that says you can't pull the house off the market and then relist it higher because in my opinion, in that situation where if you did try that strategy, right? Because it is, if you're not employing a strategy on selling a house right now, you're nuts. But so if that's your strategy and you go into it and you say, we're going to underprice it to get multiple offers, it doesn't work. And you say, okay, I'm, I'm listed at 550, but I really wanted 560. Well, relist it at 560 and then wait for, you know, fish to swim back into that area. Because it's like, I look at it as a pond full of fish. And if you throw it in, then there's no fish to bite the hook. You're not going to get them no matter what price. We could have been at 200. It wouldn't have mattered because there's no fish currently in that pond. Now times change. People get divorced over the weekend. People die over the weekend. People have life happening over the weekend. And all of a sudden, there's new buyers that enter the marketplace on a constant, steady flow. So if you're patient and you say, okay, let's pull it, let's relist it at 260. And all of a sudden, the next week, a buyer might come in and go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm getting all this house for 260. You know, so it's being patient sometimes is the key. Eric dropped a nice little plug for you, Andy. Um, or you could just start with the right agent, Andy, right away. What a sweetheart. I mean that in a manly way. What a great guy. I think uh I think he just he just won some swag from you. I believe uh he's got a nice little switcher coming. No. <laughs> I uh I, I do Eric and I go with that. Or, is, uh, Eric, is Eric real or is it is it yeah. Lisa's other Eric's one of the coolest dudes I know. <laughs> Uh, that's good. Great. We we go way back, man. I'm talking almost 20 years. So, okay. So back to the topic. As an agent, how how do you guys give your clients the best advice on maximizing their house value? On maximizing their house value? Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, so preparing your home for sale. Um, I call it positioning. A lot of people call it staging. I think staging is just putting furniture in and stuff like that. Positioning, Merchandising. Yeah. Per, positioning to me is, you know, um, kind of looking at that target buyer and figuring out what they want. And then we try to create that for them. So if it is, if it's a lower um, priced home, when I say a lower priced home, I mean, people might, but under 500,000, um, which is a big, is a lot of home. But I mean, typically for those buyers, like I said before, they have enough money to get in and some, you know, are 20% down, but they don't really have that next, that next level of money to be able to take it and kind of refix it up. So I'm going to try to get that house done as much as I possibly can. But there's sometimes you go into a house and it's like, you know, gosh, if you, if you, you got to do this, 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 and this, and this, and that, and this, and that, Sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, and, and some people are going, hey, you have to have granite countertops and stainless steel appliances. But if you have, you know, dated wallpaper and dated tile and old carpet, you know, if you don't do those ones with it, you know, it's not going to matter what you did over here. 
And so then that, that just doesn't, that it, it won't make sense in which to be able to do that. Now you have to turn around and you got to market it a different way of people that are looking for, hey, look at all this square footage that you're getting to be able to, you know, redo it the way that you want to do it versus, you know, having to go the whole route and try to redo it. Do you think um, when you come in and someone doesn't want to make any of those updates outside of kind of the decluttering and painting kind of the standard of getting your house ready to go to market, how do you help them set a pricing strategy that's realistic for the market? Well, you know, Chris and I have talked about this a billion times. Let's say that you have, you know, $10,000 worth of the under improvements, you know, or deferred maintenance or whatever you want to call it. It's going to cost you 20 it's literally a two for one in most cases where people coming in anticipate that, you know, instead of carpet costing 4,000, they think it's going to cost 10 or eight. And so they write their offers appropriately and they don't want to do the work. So they're also penalizing you for making them do the work. So as long as you're okay with paying a convenience fee, it's kind of like selling your house to one of these flippers, you know, the we buy houses or guaranteed offers or whatever. I mean, the same thing. The only thing they're guaranteeing you is that they're going to offer what they want to pay for it. And it's usually with a nice profit on it for them to do all the stuff that you won't do. So, it, you know, and that that's just being straightforward. And, and so, you know, if you want to wholesale, you know, that's different than um, finding a fixer upper. So I think there's, you know, if you're going to go after the fixer upper market, which is like the, let's say you find a nice young person that wants to buy a house and they have the skill set um, to do that. They have the, the right kind of job where they can afford to do that. And you target that, that buyer um, yeah, it's a very viable, that person usually will pay a little bit more too than the wholesale market. Um, but they, like I said, it costs you money to do it. So, you know, like Chris and I've always said, fresh paint, you know, a carpet declutter clean as a very minimum is usually our basics. Um, but you know, if you don't need those things, you don't need those things. Sometimes, you know, the old, uh, cleaning of the carpets can work, but you better make sure that it, it, you know, looks nice. And sometimes, I mean, if you, if you clean and declutter, then they'll at least think the bones of the house are really good and they'll justify it and say, gosh, you know what? Instead of getting a three bedroom house with one bath, I'm getting five bedrooms with three baths. And it's kind of the same thing. And gosh, this is really good. We can always fix it up as we go. So some people will take that and then add on a great location to it. You know, you have to play off of that. But when sellers do that, when, when you go and talk to sellers, it's ultimately their decision. It's yeah. our job to give the information to make that an informed decision. But um, ultimately, they're the boss. And I think that's where uh, agents kind of uh, screw up is they forget that it's it's not about them. It's about your seller. And so it's, it's what they want to do. And if you don't want to do what they want to do, then you don't list their house. You know? It's Amen. Kind of, if you're, you're a seller, you're, you're literally on a job interview and you're out there. And they're they're telling you if you if you really listen to them, they're telling you what the job is. And then if you want that job, you know, go for it. But if you don't, like I always tell, same to the team. You know, I have team partners here on the team, and they, I say, not every deal is a good deal. You know, you don't have to take every listing. You don't have to take on every client because in this marketplace, my goodness, you find one good client, and it rewards you tenfold because they love what you did for them. You took care of them. They refer you to other friends and family. And they, and they, you know, they do what you want every dream client to do. And versus the other client that's disappointed because you're not doing what they wanted. They're mad at you. They write a bad review about you and they never refer you. How, how does that help you or your business? It doesn't. 
Yeah, and it's it's not it doesn't work for them either, and it's not fair to the other that that client either. And so, if you don't feel that there's a mix or a, or a thing there, it's it'll cost you way more than even if you sell it. Then some people try to hang on to it as long as they possibly can as well because they want to try to recoup what they lost and they just keep losing more. So yeah, it's I think an, an agent and a, a seller need to be able to work together. And I I talk about a partnership. You know, it's not me against you. We're not trying, don't, oh, don't tell Chris because he's going to go tell us. No, Chris wants to get the most for you because that makes Chris look the best if he can get you the most of what you want, you know. But the most of what you want isn't always, or, or what you want is not always what you get. But there's there's ways in which to get it. And then sometimes it just it just isn't. You know, we have to do it. And this is what's happening in the market. And if you want to sell it now, we got to go. If you don't, then let's just wait. Greg wants to know, how much does the builder's name influence the price when selling? Okay. So like uh, it was built by Andy Prasky or... And he builds a nice house. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if that, if that builder has a reputation, a good reputation, I would, I'll use it all the time in my marketing, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it gives people um, confidence. And sometimes it's the, um, I mean, you can go further than the builder and, and maybe a style, a Frank Lloyd Wright style, you know? Um, right. You, I mean, you would use that a lot. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Andy, what do you think as far as, I mean, I don't monetarily, I don't, I think it, it justifies it for people, but I don't know if it's uh Yeah. You know, you know, I think that there's something to be said for when builders uh, over the years have built a, a true household brand name in a marketplace, you know, like I, I look at some of the builders that are, you know, the over here in like Blaine, you've got the Gorham family, they've got, you know, they've got a brand that people actually seek um, and say, oh, I live in a, a Gorham built house, you know, and they, and that, that's good. I mean, um, and, and I think that that, that particular builder, for example, or, you know, some of the other bigger high-end builders that carry that like consistent, um, wow factor in their models. Um, and then people keep coming back and then will they pay more? No, I don't think they'll pay more, but they, they create their own demand because people dream about living in one of their houses. And then as they save up or make life decisions so that they can afford one of them someday, I think that it, it's more of a, I don't know, I don't know if it's, they pay more because of the name. But on the other hand, if you have a builder that's notoriously a bad builder that doesn't come back and doesn't do service or doesn't do whatever, you have to write your offer appropriately knowing that the house is what it is and have a good home inspection on it and make sure that your contractor buddies that can come in and take a look at it for you to make sure that you have that house the way you want it and expect nothing, um, then I, I also think even a builder with a crummy reputation can be a good buy, you know, because sometimes they usually are the ones that sit the longest because they do have that bad reputation. And as long as you have it looked over and you have it inspected, I mean, I don't know, they have to follow the the state, you know, codes and, and uh, most builders exceed that because they always, every jokingly says, you know, the codes are like getting a D on the report card. Um, you pass, but I mean, it's not like you should be proud of it. You want to exceed those, um, you know, uh, codes. So if you're a seller and you're thinking about putting your home on the market and you meet with a couple of different agents and they all come back to you with a different pricing strategy, how do you choose the right agent to work with? Look at the information that they're giving you, you know, and, and, and like I always tell people, I always try to tell them to flip to the other side. And what I mean by that is that you got to look at this house like you're a buyer. 
not just as a seller and you think it's great or or the opposite. Sometimes we get sellers that like, well, this house just ain't worth it. I mean, it's just not that great of a house and we don't want to do it. And this is wrong and this is wrong. And well, in the marketplace, this is actually really good. And, you know, and so sometimes you get the opposite effect, but uh, most of the times you are, you are trying to, but I'll tell you what, it really in this market, most people know what their house is worth. I mean, they really do. They're out there. They're out there looking at open houses. They're watching what's happening in their neighborhood, and they get a good feel for it. Now, is everyone gonna kind of shoot a little high? Yeah, but um, you know, when it times goes on the market, I mean, usually people are very open and receptive to it. And I think, you know, I mean, us as agents, I mean, they're paying us to to help them, not just say, okay, hey, what do you want to list it at? Oh, okay, seven thousand, seven million dollars. That's great. Let's do it. You know, that, that's not what an agent's supposed to do. You got to give them the information to be able to make a decision and and be able to take that information and show them why why it's worth that. And sometimes you even have to go out and look at houses and show them that that's that's the case. Because I'll tell you what, sometimes when you when you don't do that and you price them wrong at the beginning and it costs them thousands of dollars later on, you learn in a hurry that you really fight for your price. Because they don't even know, and, that, and that's the sad part from the realtor perspective, is that when it sells and it goes really good, then they're kind of like, gosh, we probably could have got more. The only way they learn that is that they would have priced it higher and got a lot less. And so right. unfortunately, we have to use some of the old stories and show them that, you know, here's here's what can happen. And this is why I think that now. Well, and I, I think it's too, it's Chris, like like you've said in the past too, that, you, you know, we're kind of, you're kind of searching for a unicorn because- you, you, a real estate agent, not only do you want to like the agent, but you know, which some people feel the need to, they want to like their agent, but you're really hiring them as a marketing component. They, they, they know how to market properties to get you more money for your house. And then secondly, um, I want a negotiator. I, I personally wouldn't want to be friends with my agent. I'd want an agent that can negotiate. And that doesn't mean being tough. That sometimes means being smart or strategic and getting you exactly what you need as a seller and, and that's what I would rank my agents on is who's going to get me what I want and, and do they have a plan to get me there and then show me the plan because sometimes it's all talk, you know, and I sit down with agents and I laugh because I'll interview and they'll say, well, this, this uh, agent gave me a one page flyer on the fact that they do everything after the fact. And I'm like, you know, versus I'm the guy that shows up with a book and I have page by page what I do, how I do it. And some people like that. I think I attract some of the personality types of the engineers and the whatever's because I have that step by step by step that I do. And so some people find comfort in that, that knowing there is an actual action plan that as soon as we press start, the machine's running, you know, so. So if it's a seller's market, does that mean you should definitely put your house on the market now? I think it depends what you're looking to do. I mean, after the fact and, and, and where you're at, and I mean, in some cases, it makes sense um, to maybe redo what you're doing at the place, but I—I I mean, obviously, it's a—it's a great time in, in in which to sell. People are getting top dollar for their house, and so if you want to maximize what you have right now, um, does that mean where you're going? Um, you're going to pay a max on it. I mean, it's still the same thing. If you get this for your house, you pay for this for that house. I mean, it's the right. same thing as if you, if the market's going to go down, your house is going down too. Right. It, but it's interesting. I've got like two clients right now. One, one, both, both are investors, right? One is starting to sell his properties. He's like, oh man, uh, these properties are at peak equity values, you know, that I can tell and I want all my equity out of them and I'm going to do, and I'm like, what are you going to do with your money? 
I mean, because you look at that and then I got other investors that are just getting into the market because what the rents are at and what the properties are at with low interest rates that are actually, so you, you got diff, different phases of life produce different results. Um, some people need a chunk of cash. Some people need a revenue stream. Some people, um, you know, like to sell just to sell, it, it's, well, boy, yep, you got more money in your hand, but now you have nowhere to live. So what's plan B? And I think that's the hardest thing for most people to swallow anyway right now in today's market is, is really getting their arms around where am I going and do I feel good about it? And that's what pauses the marketplace a little bit too, because, you know, like, like we talked about earlier in the show, what are those things that get you excited to move and are they, are they really there and are they real? I think it's interesting, kind of a little play off of what Andy just said, is that the thing is, is everyone has different things that they want to do or be out of it. I mean, I had a number of rental properties and I just don't like it anymore. I don't like it and I don't care. I'm going to pay taxes. I'm going to get rid of them. And, and it's, it is done because that for quality of life and having to listen to a renter ever call me again is something that I just don't want, you know, or, you know, go fix up a house or whatever. And um, so there is, I mean, there's, there's different people have different things and, you know, and that's really what makes our, our market go around as well. You know, so it's great for these new people because they're right. It's a great time to buy these investment properties and hold them as rentals and get them in for such a low interest rate. You know, but you got to remember, you know, on the other hand, there is there's people that don't pay their rent. There's people that wreck your properties. There's people that, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's on and on. So you could kind of play it, you know, both ways. So well, same thing with the stock market. Same thing with buying gold. Same thing with buying an antique car. I mean, every every investment you make, you know, it, th this is where I come into the reality of um, a lot of investors right now look at the world and go, huh, where are we going? What are we doing? Where's the prices of, you know, stocks going to go? Are they going to stay up? Are they going to crash? You know, what's going to happen with the next president? What's going to, you know, there's all these what ifs. There's always comfort in being able to drive by and say, I own that. And that, that asset, it, it's a tangible investment. And you can see it, feel it, touch it. It doesn't go away. It may go up and down in value, but it's tangible. And and, and I think we all need a little bit of tangible, you know, uh, investment kind of in our life once in a while, because I mean, as much risk as you can handle, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, there were, there was, I look back to 2008 where I felt like, holy cows, there's a lot of things around me that are devaluating fast. You know, everything from the houses to the things that I own, to the stocks that I had. And all of a sudden I saw, I felt super vulnerable. So for a guy like me, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm, I'm absolutely invested into more. I've got my arms out, so the floor can crack, and I'm going to still be stable. You know. Do you guys think it'll still be a seller's market in the spring? I do. Yes. Just because interest interest rates are staying low. I yeah. I don't. I don't see people. Um, listing their house, going crazy and listing their houses all over the winter. I don't see the buyers falling off if it's it's the rates. Yeah, the rates are, the rates are important. That keeps buyers going. But I mean, regardless of the rates, people still have to, you know, buy, get get a house and they move and they transfer and they get new jobs and, and life changes. So um, yep. rates and inventory, I just don't think are going to change. Well, I think concern and fear, right? So kind of going back to my analogy originally here, and, you know, you're going to have half the country that's excited about what happened presidentially, you know, and half the country is going to be like, uh oh, what's going to happen, right? So, you know, some people optimistically heading out into the world saying, hey, our guy won. 
And, and then the other half is going to be like hiding in their bunkers waiting for, you know, what they think is going to be the, the change of their lives. And so, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I joke about that because I, I look at how some people are literally thinking, oh my gosh. And then Chris and I have talked about, we've been through so many elections with housing where at the end of the day, it makes a difference, but it really doesn't. I mean, lifestyles are still proceeding. You know, pandemics change our lifestyles for sure. You know, I mean, how much does the, the, the top of the top of the top really affect you personally? I don't know. I mean, that's up to you to decide. Um, you know, I'm not going to project that, but I think that it's a mental thing, right? So getting the fear out of your head of what's going on, making sure you have stable income, stable business, low payments. Um, if you need payments, um, I'm seeing more people now, and this is why I think housing will always be stable uh, in the near future. They don't have a lot of debt um, that are out there. The people buying houses, 40% of them are paid for free and clear. I believe in the state of Minnesota is a pretty close to that statistic. And so four out of 10 houses can't get foreclosed on if they're paid, if they're paid for, right? Think about that. And then the other, there's like 60% of the rest of the people that have significant equity. And so when you have significant equity, you, you have decision power. And when you have decision-making power, you can decide to sell, you can decide to move, or you decide to stay. When, when you have no equity, it limits your decisions. And, you know, so a few years back, we were, a lot of people were stuck. So I think you're seeing movement now based on people having choices. Um, and I think in the spring, you're going to have that continued, almost reflection of the same market we have right now. But if you're thinking about selling in the spring, you should still be making your plan now, I'm For assuming. Sure. Get your exterior painting done, get that, you know, top coat on the driveway. If you have asphalt, you know, those kind of little things you can still do now uh, in the next week or two, because it's going to, it's going to shut off quick. Very close. Yeah, we're real close. I, I think this year you're going to see, last year we made it to the 15th with asphalt plants being open, pouring driveways. And I don't think it's going to make it that far this year. You know, so so, the weather is so weird this year. Yeah. So uh, one question that we did not get to while we were chatting is from Greg, do title companies charge similar fees at closing and should you get quotes? It's always good to get quotes, but they're all pretty much the same. Uh, I I found that they're all really kind of close. I mean, when I say close, they're within 100 to 300, 400. Sometimes there's uh, title insurance, the bigger the house that you purchase, the more um, they're apt to uh, maybe give you discounts um, for that. But uh, you can certainly check out people. But I'll tell you, it's kind of like, you know, when we're, when we're selling or when we're, when we're, we're working with these people, the reason we're working with them, because we know that it's going to get done. And then sometimes, you know, you can get it for $300 less, but you don't close on time. Well, that's going to be a problem. And it's probably going to cost you a heck of a lot more than $300 in which to be able to do it. So, well, and I, I look at it kind of like the old analogy of uh, um, cheeseburgers, right? And you have all these people that oh, everybody makes a cheeseburger. Everybody does, right? There's, there's tons of title companies out there, but there's a price range. You know, let's say it's eight to $13 is the average, but what do you get for $8? What do you get for $13? Varies a hundred percent. They call it the same service. They call it the same thing, but some people are, are using higher grades of meat, better cheese, better buns, homemade, whatever. Chris is laughing, but I'm telling you, the, there is a huge difference in title companies. There's a huge difference with their with the approach they take. Is everything done in house? Is it is it done you know outsourced? Is it you know because we have some great title companies in the Twin Cities, but there's also some turds out there. I'll tell you, I've where I've done business with them, and I'm like, oh my god, why did we pick these people? Everything's delayed. Things aren't being done. They're not pushing the title people. They're not pushing the the mortgage people. You know, anyway, 
They serve uh, you a dried burnt burger, Chris, and it's I'm not standing for it. <laughs> that is a new analogy for you. Yeah. Always, well, it's always he never he never reuses them. They're always something new. He's very good at that. Very. I think I'm going to have someone go through all the past shows and pull out all your best analogies in like huh. little uh, little sound clips, and we're going to start playing those as our as our. Um, yeah. So that so people can say it has a podcast. You kidding me? <laughs> I think it's great because it keeps it interesting. Well, and and hey, by the way, now that we mentioned that, thank you everybody that listens to the podcast too. I know. We have our Facebook live here too, but man, we've been, uh, we've been having some pretty good numbers. I'm excited. Uh, a lot of people enjoying and listening to the podcast as well. And, uh, that's kind of a fun thing. Good job, Courtney, for helping us with that too. We're, we're slowly getting there. Yeah. <laughs> we're slowly getting organized. It's been kind of a crazy market this year. Yeah. Um, so good show. Good, good chat. If you have additional questions about pricing your house for the market, definitely submit those to us. You can drop them as a comment on this post, or you can shoot them over by email. You can go to our new website um, and you can email any of us from the website, realestateradiohour.com. So that is our big news. <laughs> Oh, now we have last week's questions to cover. What are some things you should definitely run away from as a do-it-yourself renovator? I'll, I'll start with that one. Anything that involves a permit, that's what you should run away from. I Does mean, depend on your qualifications. Yeah, well, just because um, those are the things that are uh, much more scrutinized when it comes time to sell your house. So the things that are used as a permit, that's what I would just kind of maybe get uh, the right people in which to do that versus um, electric plumbing, uh, you know, HVAC, that type of stuff. If you're kind of a do it yourself or to try to get that done. Um, I just, well, let me, let me be honest, Chris. How, how many times, how many times have you had a customer say, yeah, I patched this drywall myself and you go, wow. That looks great. And you're, and you're lying through your teeth or they, yeah, I did the tile backsplash myself on a Saturday. Can you believe it? And you're like, <laughs> yes, I can. Um, the grout lines are not straight. The, um, you know, the, I mean, what I would say is stay within your skill. Make it look horrible. And, and you may think it looks good and you may be able to live with it, but I'll tell you what, not everybody is a do it yourself or um, not everybody has that skill set in their, you know, DNA. And, and I'm telling you, if you don't, just like anything else in life, just, just hire the professional, like Chris is saying, get it done right. And in the investment's better to say, hey, listen, I just had all my walls touched up, you know, spackled and repainted by this wonderful painting company. That adds value to the sale price of the house versus detouring from the, we bought this whitewash on sale at the uh, do-it-yourself store and painted all over the trim in the ceilings, you know? And if you can't afford to hire a professional, would you say don't do it? Yeah. I don't know, Chris, what do you think? I've had where I've offered allowances too, where, you know, if they don't have the cash cash, but they have equity, I'll say, let's offer an allowance for that to be done, you know, before closing or after closing. Yeah. Or it's not, I mean, it's not your first choice, but you gotta, you gotta do what you're dealt with too, you know, um, unless you're willing to maybe borrow that person money to be able to make it happen as well. So. True. 
great advice. Every once in a while. I'm looking for advice on preparing my first home to become a rental property, then buy another home for myself. That was a hot topic today. So let's continue the conversation. Um, I would say that I would try to get it as um, turnkey as possible, but yet um, maintenance free as possible as well. If that makes sense. So if oh, I was you don't have to come back in. Yeah, if I was gonna pick what can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, if you're gonna pick, you like you're gonna put new flooring in for them, you know, and say you have hardwood floors under your carpet, you might want to just do the hardwood floors and rather than putting carpet in, because you can always put carpet in later when it comes time to sell. Or if uh, you know, just more uh maintenance free and um, ease. What do you Create think? less maintenance for yourself is basically what you're saying. Yeah, or that they can they can less destroy it. I guess is what I'm, <laughs> I'm getting at. Such a positive answer. Yeah, it's but it's true. I it's can't fact. tell you how many people say, "Oh, you know, don't worry, Andy. It's a friend of ours that's their son. He's going to take care of the place." And then they get over there and realize they destroyed it. There's holes in the walls. The carpets are destroyed. You know, they changed oil on their whatever motorcycle in the living room. I mean, it, you literally, it, it never ceases to amaze the, the the level that I've seen some of these rentals go to where you're like, oh my gosh, they destroyed it. Or they break one of the three chandelier, you know, lanterns and they don't tell you. And all of a sudden you're like, now I got to go replace the whole light, you know, or whatever. So it's like a lot of that, um, I would say make it nice and make it where it's kind of indestructible. If there's a better flooring that's a little more durable that can handle, like, like I would say, if you put carpet in, and let's say somebody at a dinner party spills their Coca-Cola on the carpet, they're not gonna scrub it the same way you would at your own house. They 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 damp it up and then oh that's good. And then you know, over years it starts attracting dust and dirt and it never goes away because they never quite clean it like you would if you owned it, or you just put the five grand into that new carpet. And so anyway, I always just say, you know, just invest what you know you have to replace in five years or every five years. Um, just plan on having to replace those items and budget your, your rental that way where you're setting aside an allocation of, you know, to reinvest into the property. Because if you don't, you're crazy. So basically prepare it like you've got a bunch of toddlers living in the house and you'll be fine. Respectful to those that are renters listening to the show. Yes. And it's not, it's not every renter. I mean, you know, oh, that's right. but it's, but it's in, in general, that's yes. You have to protect yourself. Yeah. And, and, and you don't want to, what you don't want to do is keep replacing carpet every year. You know, if you do that, that just costs you money and you lose money that way. And it's and expensive. So, yeah. If you did like a, a vinyl, like a vinyl in those areas, that's going to withstand a lot of stuff that, that Coke that he's talking about. You know, they have a lot of nice looking vinyl products today too. Vinyl products. Yeah. And so and that will last you for the rental, you know, and if a couple of boards go bad, you can take them out and flip them back in kind of thing. So it, that's just, I don't know, smart. I mean, that, have you seen Andy that uh, th those square carpets, little pieces? Oh yeah. Those are cool. Yeah. yeah. Same kind of great, thing. Especially you know? in, like in a commercial application where they, you, they come from. Yeah. Where you pop up yeah. the carpet square when somebody drops something on it and they just re and it's brand new again. 
that is that is the way to go for sure. Yeah. What are the best places to get inspiration for remodeling or building? Short of going to um I I always I use Pinterest and I use house.com. House is awesome. Yeah, those two to me are the ones that, uh, and you can save everything in there. And that's uh, that's that's my inspiration. I was just in New Orleans actually this weekend. And uh, there were some cool things there too, taking pictures of different areas. My kid travels all over the place and he's always sending me different photos of uh, different architecture and things like that, that uh, is really cool, great inspirations. I'd like to follow some of the interior decorators as well. Um, on Instagram and some of those other spots because they are always super proud of the work they do. And there's um, then it's then it's regional, it's local. It's you know usually you can call and they say, yeah, I got that cabinet at this place or that that you know trim work was done by this company. And so that's kind of nice too. Um, I would also consider now this is something that it's taken me a long time to realize this that when it comes to interior design work and keeping updated and current, it's not that much more expensive, ladies and gentlemen, to hire an interior decorator to help you design your house and actually put things together and tell you where to go buy stuff. And they charge a small percentage and it's so worth every penny. I know that it sounds a little snotty to say it, but I'm telling you, those people are so wonderful and they get it and they live, breathe and you know sleep this stuff. And I'm like walking in going, okay, I'm going to design a room. I don't know how to do that. I mean, I know what I like, but I don't know how to get you there. So like having somebody that knows how to get you there and, you know, they get everything done for you. And then if you want to even have them do everything for you, they also, most interior decorating teams offer that as well, where they'll come in and, and literally source everything, buy it for you, pick it up, deliver it, install it and, and coordinate the project. And so, you know, th- th- that's awesome. I think that that's a great resource too. Awesome. Great advice today, guys. Thank you. As always, uh, if you enjoy the show, please give us a like on Facebook. Share the share the show if you can. Uh, give us a follow on your favorite podcasting app. Next week, we're talking about uh, super garages and how you can make your garage a super garage. Uh, we'll have Don Cavanaugh from Dentcraft with us next week. And uh, if you have questions for that show, you can definitely submit those in advance. Be sure to check out our new website. You can get Andy and Chris's email off of the website. Just kidding. You can email your questions to you, me. You don't have it memorized by now? With Andy all those threats you send me? I mean, it's the, easiest, it's the easiest email address ever. Dear Andy at Prasky.com, I am so disappointed with the way you behave today on the show. Is that what you're going to send me? Me? No. No one would ever send that to you. Everybody loves you guys. Come on. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Have a great week, guys. All right, guys. See everybody. Bye. Going to find a cheeseburger for $13. Let's do it. <laughs> Enjoy. Bye. It's a good day for a cheeseburger. 
Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.